We're going to look at an exciting topic this week. We started it last week. We'll dig into it some more this week. And in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, it says that, it says, Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, that's a nicer word. If we can get the TV gone, that'd be great. I do not want you to be uninformed. Uh, the King James says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Now, for some reason, ignorant seems to be a mean word to us, but it's really not a mean word. Ignorant just means, guess what? Uninformed, uneducated about something. So the NIV says, I, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So if you're here today and you say, I don't even know what the gifts of the Spirit are, then you're uninformed. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person or that you're an unintelligent person. You're just uninformed. And then it says in the NLT, the New Living Translation, now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I like how that's said. I don't want you to misunderstand this. And so Paul's going to go into teaching, pretty in-depth teaching, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, and then 1 Corinthians 13, and 1 Corinthians 14, on the gifts of the Spirit. I do want to tell you, these are gifts of the Spirit, Okay. There'll be people, we're going to look at Adam, there's nine of them, we're going to look at them here in a second. There'll be some people who say, well, I feel that the, the gift of the Spirit I have is leadership, or the gift of the Spirit I have is compassion, or the gift of the Spirit I have is hospitality. Those are all gifts, according to the Bible. But there's nine specific gifts of the Spirit that we will look at today, and uh, those are definitely gifts from the Lord, but they don't fall into the category of gifts of the Holy Spirit. So that's our topic today, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now... I was not raised in a church where we talked about this topic, ever. I mentioned last week, ever. I mean, I don't know if we just didn't know anything about it, but the good news is I wasn't convinced and, hey, you have to have it, or I wasn't taught against it. So I was kind of neutral there, so I could, you know, experience my own thing and dig out the truth from the Scripture. Well, something happened in this church that never talked about this topic, You've got to be about my age or older to know this, but in the church world back in the day, we used to have fall and spring revivals. Does anybody remember that? Fall and spring revivals. So we had one too. Now, the little church I was in, I just want you to visualize in your mind, if you close your eyes and think of a little white wooden church like the thousands that are dotted all over the United States of America, maximum seating capacity probably 80, shoulder to shoulder, if you can picture that church built in the early 1900s, that was where the church I went to, Rugby United Brethren Church, and there's lots of churches like it, and you may have been in one like it. Rugby United Brethren is very similar to a Methodist church. It's, in fact, the United Brethren and Methodists merged at one time. We used to be the Evangelical United Brethren, but we said, a group of us, we ain't merging with them Methodists. They believe in sprinkling for baptism, and we believe in full body immersion. So we dropped the E. I don't know if we decided not to be evangelical anymore, but we dropped the E and we became the United Brethren. But if you've been in the Methodist Church, very similar to what our services were like. Except when we baptized, we dunked people under. That was about the only difference. So we're having a, a spring or fall revival. I don't remember. I'm about 12 years old. And uh, we, we usually ran somewhere around, you know, 15 people at church, 20 on a, on a you know, a blowout Sunday. And there's probably about 15, 20 people this revival service. And so afterwards, the, the revivalist said, why don't we all come up around the altar and pray? And so we did. You know, we obediently came forward and we prayed. And 
when we were praying, there's somebody beside me, Betty Wright was her name, uh, uh, is a, just a family that lived in the community, went to church with them all her life, knew them well, been over to their house, they were over to our house, the Wright family, and uh, Betty was praying, and I was like 12 years old, but she was talking in some language I didn't know. And so afterwards, when we got home, I asked mom and dad, I said, what was that? Now, I want to tell you that my heart was actually drawn to that as something beautiful. And I said, what was that? And I said, Betty was talking something I never heard. And my mom said, oh, well, Betty, Betty was raised Pentecostal. And so Betty was, was speaking in tongues. She was praying in tongues. And by the way, she wasn't, she was doing it quietly to herself and to God, but I was right beside her so I could hear it. And uh, I thought, huh. So it was bedtime. I went up to my bed, and I don't know why. I guess I thought this was something special. So I knelt down, which I never knelt to pray. I always just laid in bed and prayed. Uh, your prayer time is much shorter when you lie in bed and pray, by the way. You'll, you'll, you know, it's a great way to just fall right asleep. So I knelt by my bed and prayed, you know, my best prayer posture. I'm like 12 years old, and I said, Lord, I would like to have that. Whatever that is, would you give that to me? And I opened up my mouth, my mouth, my tongue, my diaphragm, my, my airways, my, my vocal cords, and I prayed in tongues for about a minute or two. And, and by, by the way, no lightning and thunder, no heavens open and the angel chorus singing, uh, no electricity. I've heard people say when they've gotten saved or filled with the Spirit, there's like warm honey being poured all over their body. First, I'm not even sure I'd like that. But anyway, I had no experience like that at all. I just prayed, got up, went to bed, woke up the next morning, and here's honestly what I thought. That was strange, and life went on. I had no context for that or didn't even know really what had happened because I was at that period ignorant of, you know, the things of the Spirit. Now, somebody could say, and probably have said, that that was just an experience, you know, you can't, you can't live life on an experience. That was just an experience. We, we got to go to the Word of God, which act, actually I do believe that. We have to go to the Word, not just live by experience. But I do want to tell you that everything in life is an experience. You got born again and got saved. Some atheists will probably tell you that was just an experience. Well, I didn't know Jesus, and I lived like this, and I came to Jesus, and I lived like this. My life was changed. Well, that was just an experience. Having your morning cup of coffee today was just an experience. Driving to the house of the Lord today was an experience. Our worship was an experience. Everything in life's actually an experience. There's a saying, and I, I like it to a degree, but you can take any saying too far. The saying is this. A person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. You say, well, what's that mean? That means, I'll give you another example. In that same bedroom, that must be a holy bedroom. I don't know what it is. In that same bedroom, I came home from a ball game with a, a torn up knee. I could not even lift my leg up to untie my shoe. Um, I had to bend over and tie it and lift my leg into the bed. And I thought, well, you know, I go to church. We talk about God. We pray about people every week getting healed. I mean, no one ever did, but we prayed about it every week anyway. And so I just said, Lord Jesus, would you heal my knee, heal my leg? And then great faith I had, I thought, well, I hate to move it because it's still going to hurt, and my prayer wasn't to be answered, and I moved it real slow, and it didn't hurt. And then I thought, it probably just didn't hurt because I moved it too slow. Are you catching the great faith I was in? And uh, then I moved it again, and I was gloriously healed. Now, guess what? 
you can't tell me God doesn't heal anymore because a person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. Now, there's an end to everything. I mean, if you tell me that Jesus came riding in on a pink unicorn and told you something, I'd say, I don't believe that. You say, well, I had an experience. And you said, okay, well, there is, a, there is a, an end to everything where it falls apart, but an experience. So we're going to dig a little deeper today in the Word of God, and we're going to see what it says. I'm serious about this. I, I just don't have any passion to get in arguments or fights about stuff. We're gonna, if, if at the end of the service you say, I don't believe any of that, you'll at least be more educated. And we do know this, we're not to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. So we're going to learn about that. Wherever you want to take that when we're done will be up to you, the Lord, and your study of the Word of God. So we're going to dig in deeper. There's nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, nine of them. And we're going to do a real fast overview of what they are and how they work, and it's not going to be complete, so you have an opportunity to send me an email if you want, again, no one ever does, uh, but if you ever have a question, send it to me. By the way, I want to say this. With some regularity, people send me emails, and I reply, and they don't get my replies. If that ever happens, just let me know. I think Krista and I did this. I sent her like four or five from all different sources. Never did get through to her. I think she's got me blackballed, but nonetheless, I never did get through there. I had to like send her an email by text. So if you don't hear back from me in 24 to 48 hours, Send me another one say, hey, did you reply? And we'll figure out how, what's going on there. So uh, please ask, because I don't think we're going to cover it all. So here we are, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. I decided to pick the New Living uh, Translation because it's, uh, I think it's a beautiful translation, but it's maybe not so religious sounding, so we'll look at this. Verse 7 says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Did you catch that? Why are they given to us? So we can help each other. The only thing I don't like about this particular translation on this line is it sounds like you only get one. A spiritual gift is given to each person. A. Well, I do want you to know this. The gifts of the Holy Spirit come from the Holy Spirit. So if he lives in you, then he is the possessor of all nine gifts. And so he may manifest in your life any of those nine gifts at any time he chooses if you cooperate with him. I do want to say that, if you cooperate with him. So they're from him, and you don't just get one. You know, somebody comes up for healing. In a moment, we're going to see one of the gifts is gifts of healing. We say, boy, I wish I had a gift of healing. Well, the Holy Spirit can manifest that at any time he chooses through any person who has the Holy Spirit. So for believers, and here it goes on to say, uh, to one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. That's called a word of wisdom. We'll read out the NLT when I give you the, the short version of these. They'll be King Jamesy, uh, a word of wisdom. Now, I want you to understand this. These are all supernatural spiritual things. So as we age and as we learn and as we do things, we become wiser. So people may look at you and say, you're a very wise person. And you may say, well, I guess I just have the gift of wisdom. The gift of wisdom is something that comes from the Holy Spirit that's beyond natural human education, training, experience, and age. It's something beyond that. Uh, and then it says, to another, the same Spirit gives a, mess, a special message of knowledge. So again, this is from the Holy Spirit, not just why I learned this in class. Nothing wrong with learning, growing, getting experience, and doing all that. That's wonderful, wonderful things too. 
But when you get some knowledge, there's no way you could have that except from God. That is a gift of the Holy Spirit where he's given you a special word of knowledge. Knowledge is usually about what, and wisdom is usually about how. Knowledge about what, wisdom about how. I've shared the story before, but I just like sharing it, so I'll share it again. A couple young couples are out on their first date, and the guys are kind of smitten, and they're walking through a park, and they sit down on the bench, and the one guy looks over at his gal, stares at her in the face, and says, when I look into your face, time stands still. She goes, aw, and gives him a kiss. The other guy's gone, that's pretty good. So he said, let me give it a try. And so he looks at his gal and says, you have a face that could stop a clock. Okay, well, he gets smacked. So there's a difference. There is a word of wisdom necessary. You got the what, but do you know how to deliver it? So what and how. So the same spirit gives faith to another. And to someone else, the one spirit gives the gift of healing. Most translations say gifts of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and to another the ability to prophesy. I do want to to tell you that prophecy, according to this, is is I feel like I have a word from the Lord that I'm going to share with you. And by the way, uh, the Bible says they must be judged because some people say, well, if you could prophesy, if God can give you a word, you can prophesy. We can just keep writing books to the Bible then. But if you remember what we studied last week, Paul says about this kind of prophecy, we prophesy in part. We don't see clearly. We see through a glass darkly. We see a reflection dimly. We can't, we, we, we know in part, we prophesy partially. So Paul says anytime there's a prophecy, they must be judged. And so if somebody gives you a word, they have to be judged. There's a wonderful couple here at the church one time passing through. We were talking and uh, they, they were chatting with me about maybe coming by and ministering and, and this many years ago and and uh, the one gal said, um, very sincere, very sweet, very kind. There's nothing wrong about this. But she said, I just feel like the Lord showed me that, that you are all over the map emotionally. Uh, and that your congregation needs to have, uh, needs to, the Holy Spirit needs to help you get stability and consistency in your life. So I said, okay, I will pray about that and think about that. But I think you probably met one of the most level, consistent people you'll, you'll ever meet. I said, but I will take that before the Lord. And, of course, her face kind of sunk because I thought I had a word from the Lord. Now, I think her heart was good. I think her intention was well. Uh, they had to be judged. And then you say, okay, is, was that the Lord or not? And I don't believe that was. Now, should we take her out in the Old Testament and stone her to death? No, because actually even the Old Testament said this. If somebody prophesies with ill intent on purpose, that prophet is to be killed. Now, that's not New Testament. <laughs> okay, want to make sure you know that. We're not dragging people out and killing them. Uh, but even in the Old Testament, it says if somebody prophesies something that's not right or incorrect, but with a right heart, do that prophet no harm. That prophet did not have ill intent to deceive or trick or do anything like that. Do that prophet no harm. So, prophecy, a word from the Lord you're giving to somebody else. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. That's called the discerning of spirits. This is really a lot of confusion in this because there are people who, and maybe by the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm not doubting that, but they're very discerning people. You know, they can meet somebody and kind of figure them out real quick, and they feel like, I feel that's the gift God gave me. I can discern situations and events and people. But this is gifts of the Spirit, and it's discerning of spirits. 
is this the Holy Spirit or is it a demonic spirit or is it just a human spirit? Even Paul tells, I think it's Timothy one point, that there are doctrines of men and there are doctrines of demons. And of course we also know there's doctrines of the Holy Spirit, so to discern those things. What, what are they? Remember Jesus, he, he walks into a situation, it's on the Sabbath, he's in the synagogue, he's ministering, and this lady has been bent over. Does anybody remember the story? She's been bent over, and the Bible says she could not straighten herself up. Can you imagine that? She's bent over. Now let me tell you what else that my heart goes out to her. She's bent over like this, and she shows up to church every week. She's in the house of the Lord. And so Jesus ministers to her on the Sabbath, and he detects, by discerning his spirits, that this is demonic, it's not physical. Now many of the healings that Jesus did was just purely physical, but he heals her, and she stands up straight, and this is, religion's not always a bad word, we always make it a bad word, but it's actually used in the Bible in positive ways, you know, uh, true religion is to take care of the or- orphans and the widows, and so it can be used positively. But most of the time we think of religion, we think of just of uh, no real spirit behind it, just, you know, we're going to do the rules. And so I, it's heartbreaking to me because you know what the spiritual leaders in the synagogue say? Jesus, how dare you heal her on the Sabbath? There are six days to work, and you think, is there no one who's going to pause in leadership and say, I'm not sure I'm into being healing on the Sabbath, but i got to say, Margaret finally got straightened up. She's healed. Praise the Lord. We'll worry about this whole deal about the Sabbath later. Praise God our sister is healed. No one says that, that we, that's recorded anyway. They chew on Jesus, and Jesus said, Should not this daughter of Abraham, she was a covenant girl, should not this daughter of Abraham be healed from, from Satan, Satan who has bound her, Satan has bound her for 18 long years. So he discerned that it was spiritual in nature, not physical in nature. So that's a discerning of spirits, not that you're a discerning person, which is a wonderful gift, but that's not what it's talking about here. Okay, let's read on. Um, Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, or most translations say in tongues. Another is given the ability to interpret what is said, so interpretation of tongues. And it is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So, word of wisdom, God gives supernatural wisdom. Remember Charlie Berkman, whose blood, sweat, and tears went in so much of this facility all around here. He would tell me that he would have, he's very talented, so I'm not taking that away from him, but he would have a situation in building that would be beyond him, and he would pray about it and ask the Lord about it, and he said, I can't tell you how many times I'd be lying in bed, and it just, he'd just see how to do it. He knew how to use all the tools, he knew what, he had those skills, but he didn't know how, and the Holy Spirit just revealed to him how. So you're telling me the Holy Spirit would show somebody how to fix something? Absolutely, absolutely. I know this sounds crazy to some people, but um, my screen on my motorcycle has been cockeyed for a year. And I have looked at that and looked at that, and I'm a pretty logical, linear thinker, and I can usually figure things out. I just couldn't figure out this screen. And so I went out one day and said, Lord, I said, I need some wisdom 
on what's wrong with that screen. I've looked at this thing, it feels like a gazillion times, and I walked around and looked at I saw instantly how to fix that screen. Instantly. I, I gift of wisdom, because I, I couldn't figure it out. And I went, oh my goodness, had that thing fixed and on straight in 30 seconds. And I went, wow, thank you. And again, I know the stretch of some people who say, because I'll run into people like this, they'll say, so you're telling me that there's starving people in the world and God's wasting his time telling you how to fix your motorcycle screen. That's exactly why I'm telling you. Because I want you to know this. I get it if God said, Tracy, here's my dilemma today. I can feed a starving child or I can fix your screen. I would obviously say, fix my screen. Um, no, I would not. I would say, yeah, forget the screen. Feed the hungry child, absolutely. But we don't serve a God that's limited like that. He has no limitation. Here's the other thing that makes people mad. This is not my message today, but I might as well stir up somebody. Um, people, people get, I've had conversations where people are angry because, um, uh, you know, there's starving people in the world. And why doesn't God feed the starving people in the world? I'm going to tell you why. You and I are supposed to feed them. That, that's, that's, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, and all who dwell therein, and he called us to manage it. And it says, you took care of the hungry, you took care of the homeless, you took care of the thirsty, you took care of those who are in prison. Guess what? In the name of Jesus, we're to be out. There's no reason why anybody's starving in this world other than we, the people, have not gone out and we have not done what we're supposed to do. And you don't blame God. We, we get at it ourselves. Because what most of us want to do, and I'm as guilty as anybody, is we want to blame God for not feeding the world while we sit and watch six more hours of TV. You know, okay. Make anybody mad yet? Okay, we'll move on. Okay. So, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith. Um, and my, most things aren't real for me, and everybody's different, so I, I don't doubt the person honestly told me, man, when I got saved... I felt like the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders. I felt like warm honey, you know, all that stuff. I don't doubt that at all. That's just not typically what happens with me. Here it talks about a gift of faith in the scripture. I had one time, and I I'm, can't tell you for sure that's what this is, but I had one time I was in a church. It was not my home church. I, the first time I was there, they were praying for somebody who was sick, and something inside me said, if you pray for them, they will be healed. Amen. And I thought, oh. I thought, okay, well, how do I go about doing that? And so, guess what? I did not do it. Now, I know people go, oh, my goodness. I, I have to trust that God didn't say, I'm out of resources now. If Tracy didn't do it, how can it be done? But I've often thought about that. I thought, it seemed to me, you can do this what you want, that that was a gift of faith. Something was rising up in me that I, I could pray for that person. And if you know me, I never come on the scene saying, here is God's man of faith and power. I can do anything. No, I'm usually just like that, like, oh, okay, I don't even know what to do with this. But I think that was a gift of faith stirring in me. Also, I believe that at times, multiple gifts are functioning at the same time. You know, I think working in miracles and a healing and gift of faith and all that could be operating together at the same time to get God's work done and to help other people. So, Working in miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues or unknown tongues, interpretation of tongues. Now, these are extremely important. And why are they? 
because we're going to reread this again. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can, what's the next word? So we can help each other. These are not natural giftings, they're supernatural giftings. And I want to encourage us to be open to and unafraid of spiritual gifts. Because I'm confident that every person here really does want to help others. I would suggest and say that when you pray for people, you would like for them to get results. I mean, I do. I don't want to pray just to hear my head rattle, as my parents would say. Uh, I want to... I want to see results. I want to see fruitfulness. I want to see success in ministry. And I'm not talking about ministry as an organization. Ministry just to people, one-on-one, on the street, at work, at school, in the marketplace, at church, wherever, where we are being used by God to help others. So let's not be afraid. Let's ask God, empower us so we can help others. I want you to say, I want you to notice, this is not... For you to build a name for yourself. This is not for you so people look and go, oh my goodness, look at that man or woman of power. This is not for you. These are gifts. This is very confusing to some people. You may have the person who's the least spiritual you know operate in a spiritual gift with power. Why? Because it's a gift. If today I had the resources, I do not, so don't get excited, but if I had the resources to give you a brand new Rolls Royce, Wouldn't it be a little silly if you drove around town kind of arrogant about yourself? Well, (laughs) look at all these people driving those mere Mercedes and BMWs there while I'm driving, you know, this Rolls Royce here. You know, somebody would want to say, it was a gift to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't save up your money. You You didn't build the thing. You didn't do, somebody gave it to you. It does not mean that there's anything special about you other than somebody loved you enough to give you something. The, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are just that. They are gifts. Now, the fruit of the Holy Spirit requires some cultivation and some energy and some cooperation with the Holy Spirit and because fruit is nurtured and protected and grown. And then, of course, I've had people say, well, you know, I, I'd rather have the fruit than have the gifts. Okay, but there's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to get one or the other. I would rather have it all. When it comes to spiritual things in a right way. Let's be greedy. Let, let's, let's eagerly desire spiritual gifts, is what Paul told us to do. So, I beg us, and I think we're in a place, I mean, 30 years ago, it seemed like this was more contentious. I don't believe that it is as much today, and I would encourage us to open up our minds, open up our hearts, to not say to ourselves, well, this is just a Pentecostal church message, because I'm going to tell you, I'm not Pentecostal. You didn't come into a technically Pentecostal church today. So you, I really want you to say, you know, I'm not Pentecostal. I'm Methodist. I'm Baptist. I'm United Brethren. I'm, I'm Presbyterian. I'm Episcopalian. I'm Lutheran. I'm whatever. Okay, well, let's pause for a second. Before you were any of that, you were a follower of Jesus. You, were, you gave your life to Jesus, and you might have joined yourself to a local assembly, which I'm all for. I have no problem with that. But you were, first of all, a believer a follower of Jesus. And so I want to encourage us. Let's say, Holy Spirit, empower me. You got some gifts to give me? Give them to me so I can help others. But don't 
be thinking about making a name for yourself because that's not what they're there for. In fact, I'll tell you, I know who the Holy Spirit always wants to talk about. Do you? Jesus. He says he won't talk about himself. He most certainly isn't going to talk about you. Like, man, let's, let's promote his name or her name. He's promoting the name of Jesus. Now, I think our main hang-up, I think the elephant in the room, although I don't think it's as big an elephant in the room as it used to be 30 years ago, but I think the elephant in the room is the tongues issue. Because I don't think too many people, what kind of church you're at, would mind if a sick person came forward and somebody ministered to them and the gifts of healing flowed through them and they got healed. I don't think there's any church around that would be, well, I don't like that. It kind of smelled like the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I don't think we want that around here. You know, it wouldn't be that, working in miracles. It wouldn't be a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. It's usually the tongues and interpretation. Tongues is sometimes prophecy that will trip people up. Now, you say, well, to say it's odd just seems unkind, Tracy. Well, I got that idea from the Bible. Because Paul said to the Corinthians, you're like really into praying in tongues, and uh, that's, that's fine. I'm glad I pray in tongues more than you all, he said. But in public assembly, he said, I want to tell you something. He said, in public assembly, I would rather you speak five words that I can understand that teach me something than 10,000 words in a tongue. He said, because if inquirers come in, or unbelievers, will they not look around and say, you guys are crazy. You're mad, and mad not being angry, but crazy. You're this weird, this odd, this is strange. Even Paul said, people walk in and say, this is really strange. So, I think that's what trips most people up. But I just wonder about this. If the Bible's true, and I imagine most of you here are saying, yeah, I believe the Bible's true, and, and if... Now, I'm trying to be fair to my people who aren't, uh, I don't know if anybody here, but just people I know who believe this has passed away. So if the Bible's true and it hasn't passed away, if God could give you a prayer language to pray to him by the power of the Holy Spirit through your born-again spirit, wouldn't that be extremely powerful? I mean, if you just think about it, if, if my born-again spirit could connect with the Holy Spirit and pray something to God, how powerful could that be? Well, I want to remind us of what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 14, 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. A few verses later, he says, For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I am saying. What a, a powerful thing. I, I don't think the Holy Spirit, you and I have, we even, James even warns us, be careful when you pray that you don't pray amiss. You know what I mean? That you don't strike out with your prayer. But I have a feeling, pretty secure one, that the Holy Spirit has never prayed a prayer and went, yeah, I don't think that was a good one. No, I think he's, he's on every time, and he prays through us. Now, I want to take just a second because this is something that people don't understand. The difference between praying in tongues and the gift of tongues in church. Every time Paul was ministering in the book of Acts, he'd lay hands on them, they'd receive the Holy Spirit. And every time but one, it says they prayed in tongues or prayed in tongues and prophesied. And he told the Corinthians, I think God I pray in tongues more than you all. Do not forbid to speak in tongues. Uh, 
and he talked about this praying in tongues. But he's, 14, chapter 14 really breaks down a lot. Here's your personal life, and here's your church life, and here's how this works. So whenever you read chapter 14, think about those things. And he says this, he says, if you are in a public assembly like this, and you feel like you have a tongue to share, he said, um, there must be an interpreter. Now here's the weird thing. It's not like I get up and say, okay, I need three interpreters today. Can I have three tongues interpreters today? Are you on duty today? And then somebody can pray. So you have to kind of sense by the Holy Spirit, there's somebody here who can interpret that. And Paul says, if there's no one to interpret it, do not speak out loud and grab the attention of the congregation if there's no interpreter. Now, some people said, then you can't even pray in tongues. But it's not what he says. If you listen to what he says, he says this, just pray quietly to yourself and to God. So you're praying, but you're not actually functioning in the gift. Does that make sense? The gift is public assembly. I caught everybody's attention. Everybody's listening. The tongue goes out, and there's supposed to be an interpretation. Now, you may say, I think that's a little strange. I'm just telling you, too, I think it's a little strange, too, (laughs) but it's in the Bible. And Paul says tongues and interpretation of tongue is equivalent to prophecy. So I've always told the Lord, but he never cared, why don't we just skip that one and just do prophecy then? I don't know. God's designed it this way. And I have some ideas that I'm going to share with you here in just a second of maybe what he's up to. But he really didn't have a meeting with me and talk it over, so I just went to the Word of God to see what I could find. I look at this and I say, the, the tongues and interpretation is, does seem kind of odd. And so why is God, why on the day of Pentecost was tongues a thing? Why were there tongues of fire? Why, why, what is this? And so I'm going to give you my speculation here. So I'm going to submit something for your consideration, something that I've pondered for years. It seems to me that there's activities in the Old Testament that get reversed in the New Covenant. And, and remember, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus. And so we see that there's a system that, Jesus has the right to say, as he says, we quote it every time during communion, this is the cup of a new covenant in my blood. A new covenant, a new agreement, a new arrangement. Jesus isn't just some guy, he's God wrapped in human flesh. And he says we're launching a new covenant. And so you think about the grace and truth of Jesus and the law given by Moses, and you also, if you study it out, on the day the law was given, on the day the law was given, three thousand people died three thousand people died it's like before moses ever came off the mountain the people were sinning gone crazy built an idol were were in all kinds of immorality and ungodliness was going on and three thousand people died that day at the giving of the law now i don't think this is a coincidence but in the book of acts in acts chapter 2 the holy spirit is poured out and on that day The power of God, the boldness of God, comes on all those people. Peter kicks open the door. That's how I always picture it, because in the upper room, I picture there being a little balcony there. I picture him kicking open the door. He steps down the balcony, and there's thousands of good Jewish men from all over the world. And he preaches Jesus, and guess what? 3,000 people get saved. 3,000 people at the giving of the Holy Spirit, at the grace of Jesus, are added to the church. 3,000 people receive eternal life with the Spirit, and 3,000 receive death with the law, the superiority of Jesus. 
in Genesis 11, there's an account that your Bible probably highlights as the Tower of Babel. It's a couple chapters after they've come off the ark. By the way, when you look at the Bible, two chapters could be 500 years. I just want you to know that. You're telling a history lesson. Uh, the, uh, the book of Acts, I think, I think I said 40, I think it's 30 years, 29 or 30 years. So just because you can read it in 30 minutes doesn't mean it happened in 30 minutes. So I don't know how much time has expired, but uh, God says, I want you to spread out, replenish the earth, and you know, take dominion over the earth again. Well, there's a group of people who say, we don't want to spread out. We want to build, make a name for ourselves. We want to build a city. We don't want to be scattered. We want to settle here. I would be the same way. That, me too. I just want to stay put. You know, don't want to be moving all the time. Well, God was saying spread out. And so they wanted to make a name for themselves is what it says in Genesis 11. And they wanted to not be scattered. So they're going to build a tower that goes up into the heavens. By the way, some people tell you they were trying to build a tower to, to where God lives. I don't think that was it at all. In the word heavens, the blue sky around is heavens. Outer space is heavens. I believe they wanted to build something, which historically you'll find this. Some cities built these towers that could be seen for miles away and would attract travelers to that place so they could establish a city. And so they're building this tower. In Genesis 11, 1, 6, and 7, it says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. This is human ingenuity too. This isn't the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This is human ingenuity. God says they got one mind, one heart, one accord, one language, and nothing will be impossible to them. And he said, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. God confuses their language, thwarts the progress at what they were doing because it was something that displeased him, and the tower never got built, and the city never got established. Now, on the day of Pentecost, God gives ability to speak a supernatural language. And I forgot, I was going to add up how many different languages. They're like, Acts lists like 12 or 15 languages, people from all over the world. They didn't speak the same language. God pours out his Holy Spirit, a unified language goes out, and they actually hear their language, whether they're Medes or Persians or whatever, they heard that language. Between their mouth and their ears, it was unified. And I thought, again, this seems like God, just like the law and grace, that I confuse language to thwart their progress. I'm going to unify language to encourage progress. And the mission, the mission's clearly seen in Acts, go into all the world and take the good news of Jesus. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I think that was God's game plan. And one other thing, in James chapter 3, James chapter 3 talks about our tongue. And there's no one sitting in this room, if you're past five years old, that your tongue hasn't gotten you in trouble. And James says this in James 3, 6, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. <laughs> That's pretty bad. What if that could be changed? 
what if the tongue could be set on fire from heaven? It appears like, according to Acts chapter 2, it can. And it could redirect the whole course of our lives towards God and for God. I believe that's exactly what the Holy Spirit's attempting to do through us as we yield to him and his presence. So I believe if we could set aside some of our anxieties and fears and just yield to the Holy Spirit and just say, Holy Spirit, just baptize me, give me a gift, use me. I know, I already said, the elephant in the room is, is tongues, so I could, I could see you saying, give me a gift, not tongues or interpretation of tongues, but give me a gift, anyone you want, except tongues and interpretation of tongues. And give me, <laughs> but there's a gift you could, God can give you to help others. To help others. I'm telling you, if I don't feel well, I'm hoping there's somebody here with gifts of healing to pray for me. If I need a miracle, I hope there's somebody here. And I'm telling you, if I need a miracle, I really don't, you know, need the person who's got the word of knowledge. I want a miracle. I want a healing. And so God, they're all resident in the Holy Spirit, and he gives them to us so we can help others. So, also at the end of service... I want to say this because I forget almost every week. We always pray for people at the end of service. I think they throw up a slide up there that says, if you need prayer, come forward and receive it. There's always a couple couples up here to pray for people. In the book of Acts, when you walk around through the book of Acts, you see people getting prayed for. So you may say, I, I believe I want this. And so you can come forward and people will lay hands on you, pray for you to receive the, the be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, I believe I was baptized with the Holy Spirit without that happening. It's not like God's limited to that. But I want to encourage you, if you want prayer for that, you're more than welcome to come up and receive prayer. And then also, uh, ask questions. If you have any questions, I encourage you to ask them. My email is up there. I've already told you, if if I don't respond within 24 to 48 hours, send me something back because something's gone awry. Because I just cannot believe I've covered everything on this topic in two weeks that has bugged you or pestered you. And by the way, I know you've heard this before, uh, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Um, that's really not true. There are dumb questions. But for the most part, uh, it's answers that are dumb. I was, um, most people don't know this. In fact, they'll say, I was trained in basketball by Bobby Knight. Yeah, the famous Bobby Knight. Uh, well, for more clarity, I went to Bobby Knight basketball camp when I was in seventh grade. Okay, so I may tell you that. And I'm sitting in a place, and we're in assembly hall, and uh, there's a guy here and another guy over there. And the guy over there, because they already told us 20 times, do not ask any stupid questions or we're going to make you run till you pass out. So, you know, we're all scared to ask stuff. That guy uh, tells this guy, ask them how much assembly hall weighs. Okay, well, I knew that was a week's worth of running if you asked that. This guy says, you crazy, I'm not an idiot. I would never ask that question as long as I live. Next thing I know, I'm getting bumped on the arm. He goes, hey. Ask him how much assembly hallways. I said, yeah, thanks. You're not going to get in trouble trying to get me. So that would be a stupid question. But I'm going to guess that most of your questions won't be. And we'll answer them. So we'll look at them. And we'll go to the word of God. So let's not be ignorant. So here's our action item for the week. Ask the Lord to empower you with this Holy Spirit. And grant you gifts of the Holy Spirit to help others. Take away your fear. Take away your concern. And just say, Lord, I humbly come before you. Fill me, overflow me, do what you do with people by the Holy Spirit. Give me a gift to help somebody be everything that they're called to be and to have needs met in their life.